Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. Alex Kalesi is the chair of neurosurgery at UC San Diego. And Alex and I go way back. Um, I think I was just starting as an attending at USC and Alex came on as an intern. Is that right, Alex? That's right, Mike. Yeah. So Alex is is at least seven years my junior and he's been chairman for a couple of years now. So you can just get an idea of the uh, trajectory of his career. So welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thanks so much for having me, and congratulations to you and JP on, on what's really been a, a phenomenal contribution to our, to our specialty. Now, did we ever work together at USC? Did we ever overlap at all? We did. I was, uh, I was fortunate uh, to spend some time with you. I think we only scrubbed together, though, one time that I, I particularly recall, and it was at the old county hospital on the fifth floor. A young woman, very unfortunate, had a, a huge malignant peripheral nerve sheath tumor, and uh, I was obviously the junior guy and uh, uh, came to the case and it was you, myself and, and, and the chief. And uh, I was charged with kind of retracting out all that paraspinal musculature so we could get out and around the tumor and uh, saw a plane and uh, stuck my hand behind it and the whole thing essentially delivered out uh, like a baby. And uh, I, I recall at the time uh, uh, you uh, saying that that was kind of a, a, an old school kind of Hopkins-like maneuver given uh, that was obviously my alma mater. And so uh, that was a, a formative experience for me. And so I, I, was, I was grateful for the guidance then and, and since then. Well, that's like a chairman's maneuver. And I'll tell you, you were, you were precocious and you always have been. Uh, so we, we could talk to you about anything. We could talk about anything, um, how you built the endovascular program at UCSD, how you rejuvenated and, and restarted that the training program after Larry Marshall. But I, I think what we'd like to get into today is something very special because as neurosurgeons enter, I'm going to call it midlife, there's often this sort of struggle to try to reinvent yourself. And we talked to Mike Apuzo about that a little bit. And I remember yeah. you telling me about uh, something you were doing that was that struck me as as really um, something I never had had the balls to do, and, uh, and and you went back to school. So you want to tell us about that journey and the process and the decision making? Sure. Yeah. E even prior to having the opportunity to lead the department, it, it was um, clear to me uh, that uh, to to be an advocate for my patients and specialty that I, that I needed to learn a new language and develop a new skill set. And so I, I made the decision. Um, to take on an executive MBA, uh, and I chose uh, MIT for that program in, in no small part because uh, if I was going to do an MBA, I, I didn't want to do uh, essentially a, a kind of a warmed over healthcare leadership course, having spent, like you, 20 years of my life in a hospital. And so I, I wanted to do the MBA that the hedge fund guys were doing that was very quant heavy. And so um, it, it required a lot in the way of sacrifice, obviously being in San Diego, that meant, uh, once every three weeks I was on a plane and, um, 15 hours a week when we weren't in the classroom, uh, in terms of project work. Um, uh, but it really was, uh, a, a phenomenal, um, experience and an opportunity to kind of revisit a, a lot of the, you know, the, the preconceptions you develop, uh, as you're socialized into our profession. Now it's hard for me to imagine, you know, 
I'm just finishing my intern year. I can't imagine thinking about any other kind of training or education that I could begin to wrap my head around. So I'm curious, at what point in your career did you even start to conceive of pursuing any kind of additional training beyond or outside of neurosurgery, much less specifically the MBA? Yeah, great question, JP. You know, I, I think um, uh, what's really important uh, when you when you think about each phase of your educational journey um, is, is to think about what your existing roles, responsibilities, and challenges are. And so for me, um, candidly, I hadn't thought about taking on an MBA uh, until uh, my academic work really made me realize uh, that the way to move the space, meaning neurosurgery forward, had really changed and that the interface between academics and industry partners was extraordinarily important um, if we were going to actually innovate uh, on the device side. And so my initial interest in the MBA uh, stemmed um, from those industry conversations as I contemplated um, better tools for neurosurgery and, and endovascular or open vascular neurosurgery. Um, and then through my involvement through one of our societies, the Congress of Neurosurgeons, it was, it was clear um, that uh, there's a stewardship role that comes with uh, um, uh, some of those uh, societal positions and that I wanted to make sure that I had the skills required um, to, to meet that responsibility. And then the last thing is, as I um, developed uh, more responsibility in my local environment at that time as, as vice chair of clinical affairs, um, I wanted to make sure that uh, I, I was appropriately advocating um, for neurosurgery in the larger institution, and, and I felt the MBA would help with that. Now, you have a lovely wife, Sarah, and kids now. I imagine, I mean, how? <laughs> let me put it another way. How, how did you approach this with her? Did you just, hey, honey, I'm doing this? Or was there negotiation? I don't want to get in your private life too much, but this is, this is a big deal. That's a very, that's a very fair question. And, and um, so I, I can tell you, um, uh, like you, Mike, uh, th there'd be no application if we hadn't had that conversation on the front end uh, um, uh, at, at great length. And, and the thinking was, um, that uh, in, in life, you have kind of certain windows um, to accomplish something. And, and it, as I began to investigate the possibility of the MBA, um, it was clear that as time went on, um, uh, that that was only going to be a harder decision. Um, in fact, the, the conventional wisdom is, is, is once your um, you know, oldest child is five, um, or older, um, the, the competing demands on your time really become uh, prohibitive. You're thinking about that time away to, to invest in the MBA. And so it, it was really a two-stage conversation. The first stage being um, is, is taking on this experience and that's going to be valuable um, to me, not just as a practicing surgeon today, um, but 10, 15, or 20 years from now. Um, and then the, the second piece of it is, is if we believe that that first um, professional investment is valuable, what's the appropriate timing? And um, it was clear to both of us, it was only going to become harder. And um, I'm very um, fortunate uh, because she obviously took the hit because we had, as you mentioned, young kids at home. And so that, that meant time away and, and it really takes a village. So it was, it was not just a conversation um, with her. It was a conversation with my parents and, and with our in-laws um, because I was going to rely on them to be more supportive of her in my absence. And so um, it, it was absolutely a, a, a team effort. Now, obviously, talking about getting a degree, you know, once you're already established in your own profession, the, the context within that is continuing education, continuing your own training and expanding your own skill set. Um, 
If, if we could, though, pivot to thinking about training within neurosurgery and continuing education in general. Um, I know uh, tangentially that education is taken very seriously there in San Diego because some of my best friends on the interview trail last year were in the large cohort of students that your school put out. Ali Alatar, who's at Pittsburgh now, Cecilia Dallaore at UCSF, and Mike Brendel, who you were fortunate enough to keep, um, they could not say high enough praise about how involved they were in your department and how seriously everyone took the education and the training of the residents and students as a whole. So thinking about your own continued education and training, how has this affected the way that you look towards not only medical student, but resident education and furthering their own growth and development professionally? Well, JP, I, I appreciate the question, and and I, I, I obviously it's a point of great pride for me um, that, that the folks you mentioned, um, you know, discovered their passion for neurosurgery here in here in San Diego. Um, I, what I'd say about that is that a lot of what animates my own interest in academic neurosurgery to begin with is precisely that: is what goes in um, to training uh, the next generation of surgeons and, and, and changing the way surgery is done. And what's interesting is that uh, when I actually started in neurosurgery, when I was at, at um, the stage you are now, a, a formative professional experience for me um, was having an opportunity to serve um, on the RRC. And, and what was uh, so helpful in terms of shaping how, how I view surgical education um, from that experience was having the opportunity at that time to interface um, with folks who absolutely are and, and were the leaders in our, our specialty and seeing how deeply uh, personally and professionally secure each of them were and how when they had collaborative discussions about what was best in, in a way that very few people have line of sight to, um, how uh, keen they were to actually make the right decisions for the specialty. And, and the reason I share that um, experience is, is because it, it's extraordinarily important for those of us who are now responsible for training the next generation um, of surgeons to actually communicate uh, that, that enthusiasm and that attention um, to detail. Um, because the way you learn and the way you grow is, is in precisely those sort of everyday interactions. And um, what's interesting is, you know, when Mike and I were uh, reminiscing about that anecdote earlier around the peripheral nerve sheath tumor, you better believe as a, a surgical intern, I came out of that case um, feeling pretty good. And that it may be on some level you have a, a certain um, a level of uh, surgical technique um, figured out. And that's a natural reaction because... Uh, you know, we invest so much um, to develop that skill set that it, it can be a point of pride when you can do a certain case skin to skin that you couldn't do before in, in let's say, an hour. Um, but, but we need to guard against that as a specialty because if you look at kind of pilots, when they land a plane, they don't essentially, you know, high five for landing a plane. It's, it's their job. They're the pilots, their job to land the plane. So similarly, um, what I try to communicate to our teams here as surgeons, it's our job to do the surgery. And so we, we really shouldn't, it, we can, we can celebrate for the patient, those kind of 498 cases that go the way they're supposed to, but it's really those last two where there's an opportunity to do something better. Um, that requires um, that introspection. And, and so that urgency is what I really try to communicate um, uh, to our residents and our medical students. And the recognition, because we're such a small guild-like community, that we can't wait around um, for someone else um, to come up um, with the better way of solving that problem or, or altering the natural history of, that, of a disease. And when people feel that investment and feel that responsibility and, and feel that their educational journey can make 
a difference, not just in the trajectory of a department, uh, but in the lives of their patients. Um, I, I think it, it's really hard then um, to not get out of bed uh, excited to learn something new and, and, and be a little sharper and be a little better. Those are great points, Alex. So here you are in RRC, and then now you're also going back to school in an in a, in a area that maybe you weren't uh, the strongest in when you had already reached the pinnacle, right, to become a chairman. So tell us about you. You, you go to MIT Sloan Business School, and you're surrounded by all these other guys. You're uh, you're a little further along in your career. What are you? What is it like? I mean, is it like when you were back in college at Stanford? I mean, is it anything like that, or is it a totally different experience? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, it, it's a little bit different than your college experience, but but I will tell you, it's humbling in the sense that um, for the for the folks in that cohort they are no less accomplished in their respective professional choices. So, so you're meeting people who are really at, at, at the top of other industries. And what, what was most striking to me on my first impression, Mike, was that how much convergence there was in the sense of what, if you wanna do anything well, it takes a lot of hard work um, and, and ability to be successful. And so, um, you know, th there's this whole idea around business school that it's uh, that it's management science, but it really is that convergence is what really allows you um, to become more effective by drawing on the experiences um, of other industries. So, so uh, it, it really affirmed for me uh, to answer your question directly. The way I've tried to approach all of my interactions is that there is absolutely something um, that you can learn um, from everybody. And, and the other thing uh, I would say that I, uh, I, I really learned is that if you can't communicate something simply, um, then that means you don't understand it. Um, because, you know, neurosurgery can be um, a, a complex uh, insular world. And so being able very uh, quickly and efficiently um, to communicate that to people who, who've never been exposed to neurosurgery, um, I, I think is a, a really important skill that, that for me um, was, was strengthened by that process. That's a very interesting perspective, and, and I think not just the lessons you must have learned and the techniques you must have learned getting the degree itself, but going through that process of you know keeping all those balls in the air, juggling everything you physically from different ends of the country must have been a lesson in and of itself. Um, were there any other insights or efficiency tricks or any lessons like that that you learned through that process or since then um, that you can share with us who may not ourselves go down such an arduous road. Yeah, you know, I, I think that it's interesting because, uh, and, I, and I'm sure uh, Mike, Mike can empathize um, with this, uh, you know, for many of us in academics, we have a fairly um, rigorous travel schedule. Um, and, and so uh, I actually viewed the travel as um, a, a protected opportunity um, to, to accomplish a lot of what was required, um, uh, to actually get the, uh, to get, uh, to get the, the work that was required for that MBA done. And, and so in the same way, I, I think, um, what's really important is that when you have, uh, a, a certain set of tasks that you need to accomplish, um, that you set aside, um, protected uninterrupted time, um, to do that. And uh, there's always a tension between having an orderly plan to your day and, and uh, managing those things that come up that may blow up um, that schedule. Uh, and you develop a real discipline, I think, uh, particularly as a vascular neurosurgeon, I can say this, um, in terms of saying, uh, 
no matter what happens today, I need to make sure that these three things get done. And um, having some compassion for yourself in terms of um, what's optional and what's movable and what's not, and being able to, to do that triage up front, um, I think that is extraordinarily important. And, and to circle back to your earlier question, JP, about surgical education, if I had to tell you one concern I have about a skill that's being lost in our culture, it's that uh, ability to multitask. Um, because I, I have absolutely observed um, that, uh, that even at a fairly junior resident level now, there's an expectation that when you're in the operating room, you can be protected from your pager, or that when you go down to the emergency room, that that image should already be done. And, and candidly, a neurosurgical diagnosis already made before a neurosurgeon's called. And, and as Mike well knows, um, a, a, the way I view a, a, a consult is when someone calls for a neurosurgeon, they're really calling for help. And if it's an inappropriate consult, the patient doesn't even have a neurosurgery consult, that uh, neurosurgery problem, excuse me, that really just demonstrates to me more that that person really needs a neurosurgeon um, uh, to, to kind of help them out that way. Um, and so that, that's, a, that's, that's something I think we're, we're losing a, bit, a little bit, the ability to multitask and triage. Those are really fantastic points, Alex, and I'm glad you brought that to our audience. Um, can, you, can you give our audience a sense, maybe a concrete example of how you're having gone to MIT Business School, spent all that time and money and effort, done all that homework, um, how that's actually maybe changed a situation where you had to make a decision or take an action or utilize a connection. Can you give us maybe just one example of how, if you hadn't gone to business school, maybe things, you know, would have gone differently, right? Yeah, Mike, that's a, a, a terrific question. Uh, you know, I think the most practical skill set that you develop in an MBA is, is obviously an appreciation um, for accounting. You know, I mentioned those quant skills earlier. And obviously, in my role uh, as department chair, I, I have uh, P&L responsibility for our department and want to make sure that our um, faculty have the resources they they need um, because my, my first and most important responsibility is that they have the ability to both care for patients but also have a, a clear path to their livelihood. And so I see that as a real stewardship um, for my partners. And uh, in having those conversations um, with uh, healthcare administrators, um, Having the degree is extraordinarily helpful in terms of the respect that they bring to those conversations. And it also puts you in a very strong position um, to be a, a discriminating consumer of accounting information. And so if there are uh, assumptions um, baked into that um, budget, if there are sources of passive um, support, um, we can get quite granular uh, very quickly um, in a way that makes sure uh, that uh, neurosurgery's contribution to the broader enterprise is being appropriately valued. And so it's difficult for me to put a price on um, how it's allowed me uh, to be a very effective, um, informed advocate um, when it comes to those resource conversations. And I'd like to think that what that translates into um, is uh, more flexibility on the part of our, our faculty and residents um, to have the resources they need um, to, to further, our, further our mission. Wow. So, you know, in, in the service of symmetry, we talked about your training, continued education in your career. We talked about resident and student training and education. So now that we've kind of zeroed in and really looked at a specific concrete example of applying this degree, 
if, if you would with me kind of zoom out and look in the big picture, looking forward, not just in your own career, but within the field of neurosurgery, what has this experience with the continued education you've had, this new perspective through the business degree, how has that colored your lens looking forward for the field as a whole in the years to come? Yeah, JP, it's a it's a great question. You know, I one of the reasons, as I'd mentioned, that I took on the MBA was actually trying to think about this concept of management science. And and here in San Diego, because of the phenomenal basic and translational neuroscience research we have, because of the phenomenal uh, biotech VC environment, over six hundred fifty million a year in biotech VC, it became clear to me that if you wanted to change the way neurosurgery was practiced it was critically important that you were able to engage in, in a productive way um, uh, with industry. Um, because if you look at how uh, surgery was practiced 100 years ago uh, with Halstead, you know, taking out his mom's uh, gallbladder on a, on a kitchen counter, we like to think as surgeons today that we're technically slicker and have a good uh, command of anatomy, but it's really advances in, in navigation, uh, device implants, and visualization that's allowed us to provide um, more effective care for our patients. And so uh, in this role, um, I've really tried uh, to make sure uh, that our department is uh, well positioned to further those conversations and to actually set up an infrastructure that allows you to take something from the, the prototype stage um, all the way through that early validation through those animal studies and then first in man and, and, and broad scale clinical trials. And, uh, you know, I, I've had the benefit of hearing some of the other um, uh, podcasts and you've had um, some real uh, luminaries. And I think one of the ways um, that neurosurgery uh, meets the challenges that's been articulated has uh, been by bringing other people with us. And so I, I see very much um, kind of the astronaut model with a whole team um, working in, uh, in mission control on, you know, to support the surgeon in, in taking care of those neurosurgical problems. So as opposed to a, a balkanization of our specialty, I, I actually really see a time uh, where neurosurgeons are, are going to be able to bring a much larger group of people with them um, as we uh, come up with new and better ways um, to engineer solutions for our patients. Wow. Well, as we sit here recording, it's early May uh, 2020. You know, every day gets us closer to July 1st. So this is very much a time of transition, growth, and change for many of our listeners, uh, growing and changing between many different strata within the field. So Dr. Kalesi, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing these lessons about your own continued growth and education. I think that uh, there are experiences and lessons that all of our listeners can draw on as we go through this transitional time. So thank you so much for joining us on the show. Hey, thank you, JP. Take care.